In today's episode, we'll talk about what you can do between acceptance and publication of your chapbook. Welcome to episode eight of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and occasionally full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to talk about our love of chapbooks, to demystify the publishing process, and share chapbook news and happenings. took a little break from podcasting for a while. That was fun. Yeah, a little breather, right? Catch a little raise, take in a little bit of the sunshine. A lot of people think that Noah and I share an office that we're together all day, every day. But the truth is, we don't live in the same place. So over our little break, I got to hop in the car and go up and see Noah. Yeah, we had a great time uh, with Ross on site. Ross and Heidi both came to visit. We got ourselves out onto the water, did some whale watching, took the ferry over to Fire Island. It was a great time. We saw the drag queen invasion on Fire Island. The historic annual drag queen invasion on Fire Island. That's exactly right. So much fun. I highly recommend start a small press with your friend and then do lots of stuff together. It's good times. (laughs) So the last time we got together, we had hosted some chapbook authors. This particular episode, though, kind of relates to the other episodes we've done together in talking about sort of behind the scenes work on publishing chapbooks. Sometimes when you have a chapbook accepted for publication, you don't quite know what comes next. You know, that process is invisible to so many people. They just think that the chapbook is accepted for publication and then six months later it's out and what happens in between? It can be a little mysterious, right, to think about what happens between acceptance and the book launch. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about what exactly some of the things are that occurs between those two high points. And we should let you know up front, each press works a different way. So this advice might not be ironclad for every single press, but we've tried to kind of make it so that it's relatively generalizable. This should also apply to poetry, fiction, and nonfiction, regardless of the genre that you publish in. We think these six steps are going to be helpful to you. I think it's worth also pointing out that at an at a small press, at a small indie press, there isn't a marketing or a publicity department waiting in the wings to fire up their engine and get started on putting the word out about your new book. A lot of times an indie press relies heavily on the author him or herself to help spread the word. So without further ado, here are six things you can do between acceptance and publication. Number one. Continue to publish new work. Of course, we put the hardest one first. (laughs) When you get a pub date for your book, sometimes that's going to leave you with enough time to continue to publish some of the poems that are in the chapbook but haven't yet been published. So you can go ahead and do that. I think it's also good to lean on new work and explore new poems and continue to push new work out as well. 
The idea being at the time that the that your book is published, your work is available in journals and other places. Anything you can do to build excitement about your work around the time that that chapbook comes out is really, really good. There's sort of a common misconception that maybe new work doesn't help to do that. But of course it does. Every time a reader finds your work and gets excited about it, that's just building steam for your chapbook. All right, let's move on to number two, the author questionnaire. Now, this is something we use at Bull City Press. Not every press is necessarily going to have one. But some presses do, and I think it can be confusing as a new author when you get an author questionnaire and need to fill it out. You wonder to yourself, what is all this information for? Yeah, we have heard some people get author questionnaires from their press. And basically, this is just a form that the press might ask you to fill out in which you detail your publication history, maybe a little bit about your book some possible media contacts. It can really ask for a lot of different information. But we've heard authors say, well, the book is all I have to say on the subject. I don't want to say anything else. But really, the author questionnaire is not for the public. It's solely for your press to assist you in marketing the book. I have found the author questionnaire to be incredibly valuable when we do marketing for new release titles at Bull City Press. It gives me insight into how the author thinks about their work and helps me to lean into those particular aspects that the author him or herself has called out. There have been so many times that we have written the description of a chapbook that's going to go on the website, that's going to go on the back of the book, and it's just not been as good as the author hoped. A lot of times the author questionnaire asks you to sort of summarize the book in a hundred words, and that often becomes the basis of that descriptive text. I think the author questionnaire is one of the places where I see collaboration working beyond the book itself, beyond the actual work. This is where what the author's thoughts and feelings about this particular work can be verbalized so that the publishing house or or us here at the Apple City Press can work more closely to align our efforts with the author's own efforts. And you may feel like, oh, I I don't want to work too hard on gathering up all of this information, but this is a really great place to invest a little time and energy. Yeah, it can be sort of a pain to research the contacts at your alumni magazine for the college you went to. That college may want to do a story on you. And if the press reaches out to them, that's a huge opportunity to put your chapbook in front of readers who might not otherwise have found out about it. I particularly find valuable the links to previously published work that are available on the Internet. Having the opportunity to direct followers to an author's additional work is always exciting and helps to bring more attention to the author and the kind of work that author is producing. Let's move on to point number three. Talk to your editor about possible poems to add or cut. Invite feedback from your editor. Sometimes you finish the chapbook, you send it off, it's being considered for six months, seven months, who knows how long. And by the time it's accepted, you've made some changes. You're excited about some different stuff. You can ask your editor if they'd be interested in looking at that. They might say no. They might say, we don't want to change anything. One of the things I like most about the process is having the opportunity once the manuscript's been accepted to return to that work and maybe bring a fresh set of eyes from 
a few months later to poems or stories that, you know, through revision or even through addition and subtraction in terms of removing pieces or adding newer pieces allows the work to evolve. It's also really useful to ask for line edits. Again, some editors won't take a collection that they're not ready to publish as is. But the invitation for feedback lets your editor know that you're willing to rethink some things and maybe challenge some of your old thinking. A lot of times your editor is going to see the work's intention and help you realize that intention with clarity. It's useful to have somebody who doesn't know your thought processes going through that work because sometimes they'll say, is this what you meant to say here? Let's talk about the fourth point, which is cover design. This is another place where we get into some collaborative thinking and partnering between the author and the publisher. And the cover design is a place where a lot of people get very confused. Here's the thing you need to know. Your contract probably says that your publisher has full control over the cover and can publish the work whether or not you like the cover. And that has happened. I know plenty of novelists, I know plenty of story writers, plenty of poets who've had a book come out and they're like, I didn't love the cover. How does that happen, though? A lot of times a publisher whose livelihood depends on making sure that your book finds its readership has some ideas about how your cover is going to signal to potential readers, hey, reader, I'm the book for you. But those ideas don't preclude hearing from me as the author about the kinds of things I might want to see on my cover. I think as long as you don't get tied to an idea, asking for a little bit of input, offering some ideas is a great thing to do. Have some ideas ready to roll as soon as that book gets accepted that you can communicate to your editor. Just make sure that you don't have one idea. It's really useful to have a variety of visual pieces that you can share with the publisher. It's really useful to articulate some ideas about what you might want in text. I do like getting a file from a new forthcoming author that includes other book jackets that they found interesting or appealing, along with pet peeves of the things they don't like to see on book jackets or on in-cover art. All right, let's get into point number five, which is to develop marketing lists. Well, there's a a list that you've got to have first and foremost, because it's going to come into play relatively quickly. And it is fundamentally a marketing list, although it's not exactly marketing materials. You want to have some blurbers in mind. You want to know who you're going to ask to talk about your book a little bit, to put their stamp of approval on the back of the book. So there are are some questions about how effective blurbs are. And honestly, how often do you pick up a book and say, well, I don't know anything about this book, but an author I like blurbed it, so I'm going to buy it. That's interesting. I don't think that particular thought process occurs to me. But when I see an author whose name I recognize, that helps me feel like the book isn't quite a stranger, isn't quite an unknown element. And it almost sort of helps to erode maybe like an initial hesitation between me and this new book. That's right. Blurbs put your book in conversation with those blurbers and let you know that in some ways these are peers. 
But blurbs are also really useful for reviewers to understand how they can start to converse about the book and may also be very compelling for librarians as they look for books to acquire. One thing that I notice is that some new authors have a dream list of blurbers, and that is a short list of notable authors that they hope would blurb their work. What's challenging is Sometimes folks on that list are authors that our our forthcoming author has never been in contact with before. And it can be challenging as a press to reach out to a notable author on behalf of our new chapbook writer in an effort to get a blurb. That being said, we'll always try it. But if you are in contact in some way with the people that you want to have blurb your book, the author reaching out to a potential blurber is almost always more effective than the press reaching out. Something that I've come to consider more and more as time has passed is the opportunity to reach out to potential blurbers long before you think you might want to ask them to blurb your book. And by that, I mean reaching out in very non-threatening ways to share some praise for work of theirs that you like or establishing a rapport with them through social media. I mean, essentially what you're saying is this is somebody I would really love to have in my sphere, regardless of whether or not they ever blurbed my book. This is somebody I'm really interested in. This is somebody I want to commend that I want to share my thanks with. And so even if you never ask them to blurb something, I don't think there are too many authors who are upset when they hear hey, I really loved what you did. Some other marketing contacts that serve the same purpose is being prepared with a list of maybe about 100 people that you have email contact information for. This isn't really necessarily for us to just spam the heck out of them with emails. This is more so we know these are the people in your corner who will want to know about your new book coming out. And it's even better if you already have a listserv that you've let people sign up for. Some people think, oh, I don't want to have a listserv because, you know, I don't I don't want to be email bombing everyone that I know. But if you set up a listserv and allow people to opt in, they're essentially saying, I consent to hearing from you and they can remove themselves at any time. These are people who want to hear from you. So when your book comes out, you're not bothering them to let them know. And I think within this list of people who are in your corner, it's helpful to identify folks who might be what you might call a street team. These are maybe your Uber fans. Or your close friends. <laughs> Who'd be willing to initiate conversations about you and your work online and social media or in other venues in an effort to help spread the word about your new title. And it's totally okay to say, hey, Noah, I've, I've got this new chapbook coming out. I'm going to send you a copy. Would you be cool with throwing it up on your Instagram? Because I know you're excited for the book. I'm excited for the book and I really want to share. One of the things we've seen over and over again is that an author is the single best advocate and most effective 
advocate for their title. And so the author, him or herself, reaching out through social media, but also the author, him or herself, contacting five or six very close friends in an effort to generate enthusiasm around their own title is the or one of the most effective ways to get the word out. And as you're developing lists of people who might be influential readers, don't forget to develop a list of media contacts in your area and a list of journals that have published you. Go ahead and collect that contact information now while you've got some downtime before the book comes out. Once the book comes out, you're going to feel a little bit busy. So do this before it's published. Your press may ask for these in the author questionnaire, but they may not. Either way, you should have them handy and be ready to reach out. I think that's great advice. And it takes us into point number six, which is about planning events around the launch of your new title. You may not get an exact publication date when the book is taken, but you can start at that moment thinking about the event itself. The past year and a half has certainly shown us a variety of ways to bring people together for a book launching party. It can happen both in real life. It can happen online. It can be a combination of both. And I know you want to be the star of the night, but don't be afraid to invite your friends who write fiction, who write nonfiction, who write poems. Share that spotlight because interest in their work will also generate some interest in your work. In our previous point, we talked about developing a list of media contacts in your area. This might also be the time to think about venues in your area where you may consider doing a live book reading, independent bookstores or reading series that are in your area. Now, Something we've learned over the past year and a half is that not all reading series are hampered in by geography. There are a number that are now online reading series. And I would encourage folks to start researching those and to begin think about thinking about which of those reading series you'd like to participate in. Make sure that you set a budget that's reasonable. Even at a launch event where you've got 100 people, you may not sell more than about 50, 60 copies. And you may need to understand what your author discount is and how much you can afford. Some people end up losing money on their book launch just because they also want to have a party to celebrate. And I think that's wonderful. But if you're not in a position to do so, be really careful about the finances. And I think continuing to participate in readings that include other people and their new books only serves to create more energy and more excitement around the idea of a new book release and the enthusiasm that friends and family have when an author finally gets their book put out. So I know it can feel once the book gets accepted for publication that an author's work is pretty much done. But I think we've talked a little bit about some of the things an author may be called to do or may want to do in an effort to collaborate on the editing and production of their title between acceptance and publication. I love that because you've used the key word, this is a collaboration between the press and the author. If you like the podcast, why not go ahead and click subscribe or better yet, tell a friend. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the other major pod places. Every review matters for a new podcast like ours. So if you have a moment, let us know what you think. You can find out what we and our friends at Bull City Press are up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull City Press or by visiting BullCityPress.com. And you can find me on Twitter 
at Ross White. And you can find me on Twitter at DC Noah, or you can email us at chapbook at bullcitypress.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.